Well, good morning, Radiant, and uh, what a delight to be with you this morning. Good morning, uh, Radiant Online as well, and uh, I got to tell you, I have just been so missing normal, and uh, it's just being with you is a blessing, and yet I just love to have every row uh, with people in it as opposed to the blank rows, but that's the life we live in right now, isn't it? And uh, we're going to go for it as best we can by God's grace. Hey, I want to begin, uh, speaking of weird, I want to begin with two weird pictures. Um, uh, The first uh, question with the first picture that you see up, uh, what angle are you seeing this picture? I mean, are you on top of it looking down? Are you looking from the side? Do you see it straight on? Obviously, it's an illusion of a picture, right? And it messes with your head. And before I have an audience that kind of gets sick, and uh, messed up here, I want to go to a second image, and I love this one. And uh, here's another illusion. Question, uh, which direction is he looking? Is he looking straight at you, or is he looking to your right? And the answer to that is, yes. (laughs) It it is both. Uh, It's, both of these are the same image, And yet sometimes we can uh, uh, argue that it's different images, but the fact is is that they're the same. And that happens a little bit in the text we're going to be going to here in a little bit. Uh, And so what I want to do is I want to lay some groundwork because the text we're going to enter in, it kind of is one of those classic uh, debate texts that go on of, well, it's one, no, it's the other. Is it faith? Is it works? Is James right? Is Paul right? What's going on? And frankly, the truth is, is it's both. It's just both. And uh, depends what your emphasis is looking at. So I would like to begin by having us turn to Matthew, the book of Matthew in chapter 3. I want to begin there. I want to lay some groundwork for us today, being as people in our works uh, being his people in our works, and even that title automatically has some ideas in your head on what's being uh, might be talked about, which frankly, it might be quite different than what you think uh, is going to be talked about here. In Matthew 3, and I have uh, four other texts here, we're going to meet uh, John the Baptizer, and John is, does a little bit of teaching. I want for us to hear his teaching. Then we're going to go to four other passages. You can see all of them here in Matthew. We're going to take a look at Jesus' teaching in the other four. Uh, I want to do this because I want to pull all this together and get a full picture before we go into James uh, with, with the text where he's at. I want to begin in Matthew chapter 3. Um, And it begins this way, in those days, uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here's what he preached, verse 2, repent. I mean, that's a a quick message. Repent, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the word repent, the word repent carries this idea of you're headed this direction, and then repentance means stop make a turn, and a new course. By the way, the course is connected with the repenting event. There is a repent, 
Uh, We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. Repent of your sin, and repentance carries this idea that it has legs with it. Let's keep going with this. Go down to verse 7, chapter 3. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, by the way, that's kind of like if this was, this is when the music goes, boo. I mean, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were total legalists in what was going on. So he's going to talk to them. Got to keep that in mind in light of what he's about to say. Uh, Does Jesus love legalists? Take a look at this. He said to them, you brood of vipers. Got that picture cleared up here. Uh, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Look at this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He just said his message was repent, and then it's bear fruit with that. Not only does the word bear uh, repent, as I said, mean a life that consists of a turn, but here he clarifies it. Bear fruit and fitting with repentance. Repentance and fruit go together. Verse 9, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ox is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We already get this idea of some fruit that's fitting with repentance. Now let's go over to Matthew 7, just a page or two over. Matthew 7, we're at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, I'm putting together a picture here of this common teaching by John the Baptist, Biden, Jesus, that flows for us. Let me pick up verse 15, chapter 7. We're toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this, beware of false prophets. Again, remember who he's talking about here. He's talking about false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their what? By their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit. we got a lot of fruit going on, right? Is cut down and thrown into the fire, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Yeah, but we're talking about false prophets. Oh, now he brings it back to take a look at this. Not everyone who says, he's out of false prophets now. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast demons out in your name and and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I've said it before here at this church, that is one of the most uh, scary passages in all of Scripture that we should be considering through. I mean, Jesus is like, uh, you say you know me, but I don't know you. Putting together, we're seeing, seeing this idea. Fruit uh, follows with relationship here. Let's go to the next passage, uh, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, takes it out in much greater length here. Matthew, uh, it's, it's condensed down here, verse 18, he says, uh, Jesus is teaching. Here then a parable, okay? This is a parable, it's a story that teaches When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. They hear the word, but they're just like, I'm out, no interest. 
Verse 20, uh, the second soil. As for the, what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. Verse 22, the third soil, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, so much similar to the second soil, hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Friends, I'm just going to state it straight up because I'm not teaching on that text, but I think Jesus is saying soil number one clearly never received the gospel. Soil number two and soil number three made a declaration, but the fact of the matter is is they never received the gospel. I don't think this is talking about carnal Christianity at all. I think this is talking about the person who claims to have made a profession, but the fact of the matter is, is they received a faith that isn't even the faith of the gospel. And it's proved out by there's no fruit that comes. Hey, hold on to that thought. And then there's the fourth soil. As for the one who is sown among the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understand it, but here's the deciphering difference. Indeed bears fruit. And the kind of fruit that shows hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold uh, in it. Well, let's go to the next one, uh, Matthew 22. I'm just putting together so you understand that this is not just a one text teaching idea Okay, Matthew 22, uh, verse 36. Pharisees and Sadducees are there, boo. They're always trying to, uh, by this time, they're trying to just kill Jesus, literally, trying to set him up. Hey, teacher, one of the Sadducee lawyers, teacher, what's the great commandment in the law? That's what Pharisees and Sadducees love to do. That's what kind of religious legalism loves to do. It loves to order what are the top tier sins and what are the lesser tier sins. Because I don't want to be a top tier sinner, but, you know, lower tier sinners okay. They love to order things. And Jesus said to them, hey, I can answer that no problem at all. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Love God. Oh, but then Jesus is like, no, but I can't leave it there because there's a second with it that are innately tied together. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That is a huge statement. By the way, it's not just loving God, it's loving others. And it's not feeling emotion with others. It, it's fruit. It's fruit. Let's go to uh, uh, the last one, Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about the uh, final times in verse 21, or I'm sorry, 31. He's teaching and he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, today, Lord, that'd be awesome, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. Just picture it. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his, where? right, and he'll place the goats where? On the left, and then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Look at this, look at what he brings up here, this is fascinating. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Friends, those are actions. 
Isn't it fascinating that he didn't say, because I remember a time when you prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, uh, got dunked in a tank. He's actually tying the fruit reality that carries out and tie that with what else he's been teaching in this. And you see that fruit is tied to repentance. They're not separate things. They're one and the same. And then, by the way, in Matthew 25, he then goes, verse 41, then I will say to those on the left, depart from me, you curse and eternal, uh, to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Well, let me pull all this together, these five passages, so we can then enter into James chapter 2 here. I'm going to state it this way. I actually uh, put, pulled together three statements. I'm wrestling all week with them. They're all saying the same thing, and yet I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put them all three. This is the title. Three titles, they all mean the same thing. Maybe one of these will hit a home run for you. Here's the first one. Biblical faith is entered and evidenced. That's what we've been seeing from John the Baptist, teaching, Jesus' teaching. Biblical evidence is entered, repent, and evidence. Fruit of repentance. The second way to say the same thing is saving faith is personal and public. It is a personal decision. Repentance is a personal reality, but it shows. Another way to say it is faith begins and continues. <laughs> there's a beginning point, and there's a continuing reality. And if there is no continuing reality, well, I'm jumping ahead. You've got to come back and say, was there ever really a beginning reality? Well, that's where James is going to go. We're going to enter there. So if you would, please turn to James chapter 2. Lord willing, what we just talked about is going to save a lot of time and hopefully make things clear. If you're already confused, hopefully clarity will now show. Let's see what's going on. Let me note something here. We just left Jesus and John the Baptist talking to a certain group of people. They were Israelites. They were not Roman citizens. They were not Roman Gentiles. Uh, Paul, if you know what I'm talking about, Romans 3.28, Paul is talking to Roman Gentiles. Uh, Romans are so much like our culture today here in America. In our culture today, we take grand pride in, 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 in power and prestige and the fact that we earned it. And, and they had a hard time understanding salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How can you not earn something like that? And so Paul drives that point home. You need to understand that you are justified by faith alone and not works. Friends, know this. If you think that your works are going to redeem you before a holy, perfect God, I want to love you enough, and we as a church want to love to say that you are headed in a wrong direction. Because salvation is not by works. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2. Not by works so that no one can boast. If you're in the thing where it's like, well, I'm 51% better than the rest of the world. Friends, we are all so depraved. We're all at the bottom of the bucket. That's the reality of sin condition before a holy God. And so Paul is helping Roman, citizens, Roman Gentiles understand that. Israelites, Israelites grew up thinking just by being born that they were gods. That they were God's people. 
And they had this messed up view of works. And people who grow up in a legalistic structure, where uh, particularly them, I mean, they're embedded in this culture of Sabbath laws and food laws and dress code laws and, and church laws. And maybe you're thinking, that's my home. That's the home I grew up in. I just want for you to know what oftentimes happens. I've seen it again and again in people who grow up in legalistic environments that when they come to receive Christ as their Savior, they actually have a disturbed view of works. And they think, it's all freedom from here, man. And yet the fact of the matter is, is works follow repentance. They prove repentance. And they had a distorted view of works, the Israelites did. And so what does James help people who have a distorted view of of their, their works in this? He helps them understand this. Faith is entered and evidenced. Let's follow it. James chapter two, you there? You there? All right, verse 14, here we go. What good is it my brothers and sisters? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question I already asked on the table. By the way, it reminds me, what is it, the temptation songs, war, what's it good for? You know, it's kind of like, works, what's it good for? Sorry, I'm trying. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says, I love that, he's not, he's not saying, I've heard some of you say, he's not doing it, he said, I have a friend who said this. And I love that because I want for you to know this. This text is going to push into every one of us, I pray, today. And I'm the kind of guy who, I'm a cheerleader. I like, I love encouraging. I love cheering. I love helping people along. But pressing in gets tough. Because pressing in starts getting into people's lives. And I'm telling you, it doesn't get much more sensitive and much more personal than where this text goes today. Because it's talking to ask, have every one of us in this room ask the question, are you truly saved? But he asks it. And I love that he kind of steps out. I think he knows what he's stepping into. If someone, if someone says he that she has faith but does not have works... Can that faith save him? Can that faith save her? Hey, there's a point here. There is a faith that does not save. There is a faith that does not save. I'll even say it another way because of uh, the context of what James is talking about. I'll say it this way. There is a gospel that does not save. There is a gospel message that actually, in fact, does not save. I mean, what good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith, but there's no works with it? Can that faith save him? He's clarifying, this person, someone, is claiming faith. They are claiming a faith. It's a claimed faith. They're saying that they have faith. But there is, it is a fruitless faith. There's no legs to it. There's no ongoing with it. By the way, what has James already been uh, emphasizing in the text up to this point, particularly in chapter one? Two things, uh, persevere in Christ and progress in Christ. 
persevere in Christ and progress in Christ. We should be persevering in Christ. We should be growing in Christ. And so then he comes to this place, and he, I think he, in essence, with what he's been talking about, he's saying this. Listen, if you claim to have a faith, is there persevering going on in your life, and is there progressing going on in life? Nowhere does he say, are you perfect? Because if that's the measuring bar, we're all out. But in it, he is talking, and I think he's carrying this on this wave of this progressing, persevering, and progressing. And he's saying in this, he's pushed a number of times, don't deceive yourselves, don't be double-minded, don't look in the mirror and forget what's going on, because there is a tendency for people, when it comes to religion, to fool themselves. And James is addressing that now. Why is James addressing it now? Personally, I think the flow of the the, the book so far, the letter so far, is James is pushing home the understanding that we are to be people that are persevering in Christ and progressing in Christ. And all of that has to do with persevering in our faith, progressing in our faith. And then he comes to no partiality from two Sundays ago, the text right before this. And he talks about how, listen, it, 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 we, we must have no partiality. People who understand mercy before God, how in the world can we be people that are partial uh, to other people? people. No partiality in that. And I, he's about now for the next eight weeks to go in crazy practical realities of life. And I think it's almost like he's going, you know what, before I go any further, I'm going to stop and I want to ask a question. And the question is this, do you really have a saving faith in Christ? Because everything else I'm about to talk about is built on this. And this is a lean-in moment. And we should all be willing to be leaned on here. Do you have a faith that has saved you? Well, yeah, Doug, I, I prayed a prayer. I, I walked an aisle. I, I, I was baptized. I, I've gone to church all my life. If, verse 15... A brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. By the way, that goes back to Matthew 25. You, you, those who fed me or didn't feed me, those who clothed me or didn't clothe me, he's bringing it right back here. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, by the way, note this, he's talking about particularly the context, I think it can go beyond it because he's illustrating it just like so often James does. He states it, then he illustrates it or explains it, and in this, he is talking to a brother or sister. He's talking, if you claim to be a follower of Christ and there's a brother or sister, by the way, this isn't even talking about the guy or the people standing out by the stop signs. Or the stoplights. I think, okay, that, that, that's another conversation. But here in the context, he's talking about a brother, sister in Christ. If there's someone who is like, I don't have food, I don't have clothes, I don't have that, and you say to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. And you don't put any money to it, any legs to it, that's what he's saying, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? He's pressing home. Likely, this is the kind of thing that was very possibly happening in their day. And so he comes back to what he said before, verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Boom. That's hardcore, friend. Know this. This is not a text 
that is saying, hey, God's people, you really want to prove that you know Christ is your Savior? You need to put together a plan and go do some good works out in your community. I want for you to know, this text is actually not saying that. This is a text that's pushing back on you and is pushing back on me. This is a text that is talking about not the doing of good works for other. This is about, hey, listen, is there any continuing reality in the time when you came to repent before Christ? Because if there's no continuing reality, if there's no evidence of repentance, friend, you've got to ask yourself, do you know Christ? For real. As I alluded to earlier, James is not contradicting Paul's teaching in Romans 3.28 that you are justified by faith apart from works of the law. He's not contradicting that. Like the illusion of the guy, he's talking about the other, side, the other look of it, the other part of it. Listen, I'm going to tell you that I sometimes get so frustrated with theologians that break up and take up salvation and all its little intricacies and aspects of it and so break it up that we end up breaking it up in the whole of it and we missed the picture. The fact of the matter is, is that the person who comes to know Christ as their Savior, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, work should be showing. Your life should be changed. You should be showing fruits of repentance. It's not one and then the other. It's both. It's a together reality. That is faith. Before we think that James is being too harsh here, I'm actually going to say I think James is being crazy loving here. The worst tragedy that could ever happen for humans and eternity is Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, I walked an aisle. Lord, I prayed a prayer. Lord, I raised my hand. Lord, I went to camp. Lord, I attended church. And Jesus in Matthew 7. But I never knew you. That is an eternal problem. And the most loving thing to do for James would be to pause. And like, before I get to putting boots to the ground on what Christian life looks like in a whole number of areas, I want to make sure that the foundation is there and that you are indeed actually not working off of a false faith, but off of a true faith. A faith that is entered and a faith that is evidenced. Verse 18. But someone will say, I have faith, or you have faith, I have works. You know, man, we spend a lot of time in small groups. Feel free to enter into that one some more. It's the kind of thing to where it's like, you know, I, I just believe in Jesus. You know, I don't need to, to do any more than that. That's interesting because that actually goes against what John the Baptist says, and even more importantly, that goes against what Jesus himself said multiple times. 
It sometimes can even be a bit of that attitude can carry over in how uh, we view local church. I remember 20 years as a lay person, kind of sometimes, you know, literally sometimes kind of thing. You know, well, <laughs> we, give, we, we give you guys, you know, the, the money to kind of keep this thing going and to hire staff and for you guys to do the, the work of ministry and we support you. What's with that? That's not what it is. It's not paying others to do the work for us. This is all of us together in this, uniquely gifted for it, as body uh, teachers and and coming along. But all of us are to be persevering and progressing. Every one of us are in this. But someone will say, "Uh, you have faith, I have works. Uh, He says it again, show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. Know this, he's not bragging. This is so not like a, you know what? I can show you the real deal because look at me and what I do. James is not doing that. James is in this, he's in this heart thing, this internal thing. He's like, listen, I just want to tell you that listen, if, if I were need to stand and give an account for the reality of the repentance of my faith, by God's grace, by God's grace, I can do that. The works prove it out. The works show that it has taken place. Not as braggadocious, not as a show of things, but as a reality of things. Verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Well, well, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh who came. I believe that Jesus is going to come back one day. Let me just say this. So do the demons. They know that. They know that, but it is not a redeeming knowledge. It is not a knowledge that has been put into faith. And so people are like, well, I believe that, and I believe that, and I believe that. Well, that's okay, but here's the deal. Has it come to the place where you've repented out of that knowledge? And life has changed out of that knowledge. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Man, he's leaning in hard, isn't he? Do you want to be shown, you foolish foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, oh, that's where back in Matthew they got to as well. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on an altar? He's not saying his faith, he came into faith based on his works. That's not what's being said here. James is talking about the angle of faith being worked out. And he's saying, Abraham, his faith showed with what he did. Uh, Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's the verse where a war of debate goes on with Romans 3.28 where Paul says, you are not justified by works And here James says, you are justified by works. Ah, Let's debate it. Can I just say, let's just stop it. Like that is such a ridiculous understanding of the reality. 
It's completely losing sight of what Paul is focusing on and what James is focusing on. Paul is focusing on the entered part of faith in Christ. James is focusing on the evidenced part of life in Christ. Both are critical, and Paul confirms that as well. And here in this, James is looking on that aspect of, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It shows, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? I just don't have the time with Abraham and and, and Rahab to, to go into all that, but I'll just say this. How cool is it that James uses a patriarch and a prostitute to show truth? How cool is that? And then the last verse, for as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. The whole movement of James, again. God's people, you are to be persevering in Christ's people. Persevering in tests, because tests are trials of your faith. Persevere in Christ, God's people. And he talks about, and in that persevering, you should be progressing in Christ. Do you see growth in your life? You should, out of that, trials reveal areas of needed growth. Trials also reveal areas of increased maturity. And in this, James is helping us to see and carrying on his thought to listen, a walk with the Lord is, be, may begin with an aisle, may begin with a prayer, may begin with a moment, but if there are no legs behind it, going on and on, don't deceive yourself. And so I'm going to push in. Has there been a time where you've entered into a living relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, where you've come to understand that the scriptures say that all have sinned, all of us, everyone in this room, everyone in this room and out of this room is a sinner separated from God. Not saved by our works. Not saved by your upbringing. Not saved by having completed a checklist of legalistic to-dos or be able to fill out the blanks on a theological answer sheet. Question sheet. But has there come a time where you've come to realize that you are a sinner separated from God and there is no hope for you and I on our own before a holy God one day at a sheep goat moment? But only through God sending uh, uh, himself, the second person of the Trinity, in the flesh to do for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. Dying on the cross, taking the full wrath of sin, taking the full payment of death on him, paying the price for you and I, rising from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death. And then, offering that. Offering that to all who would receive my payment 
will be imputed on you, will cover you, will be transferred to your account, and you will be redeemed, not because you're awesome, but because I am awesome, and because in that, I now stand before the Father with the image of Christ covering me. Has there been a time where you've entered into that and knowing this and knowing that it's not just a moment where that awesome, tear-wrenching, celebrating truth takes place, but knowing life changes. Life has got to be different from here for the Lord from here. Because if I'm just like prodigal sunning it, what's with that? What's with that? And James is pushing into us and going, listen, that, did you really receive the gospel? And friend, if that's your story, I am nowhere here, no way here to judge you. I am no way here to pronounce condemnation on you. I am totally here because James is totally here because the Lord is totally here saying, then come. 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 Has there been a time where you've received a gospel that here in this is coming to light that actually it was not the gospel? If you're like, man, I'm not sure. I'm just going to tell you, I'm over this whole thing of, well, wonder. Drive the stake in the ground. Then drive the stake in the ground and receive Christ as your Savior. And whether you were saved back then or whether you're saved now, it's the kind of thing God may have been using those days, those years of wandering in a religious desert to come to this point. It doesn't matter. Come to Christ. That's what James is pushing. The last thing I want today is for anyone to walk out of here with lack of clarity on their story before the Lord. Mark chapter 4. The disciples are in the boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee. Storms of life hit, and they think they're going to die. It wasn't COVID, but might it be? And in that moment, the disciples, they turned around, and in that moment, They see the Lord, Jesus, sleeping in the back of the boat, and you just know they're going, what, the bejeebers? And they look back, and they're wondering, do you not care? In fact, not only are they wondering, the text, you look at it in Mark chapter 4, they say to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, Colossians chapter 1, the ones who created them and loved them, and they look back, and they say to him, don't you care? Friends, with what's going on today, how often are we doing the same thing? 
Like, don't you care, Lord, with what's going on? Uh, see, oftentimes that's our response. But then the Lord stands up the boat, he muzzles the wind, he muzzles the sea, he gets it all calm, and then he looks the boys in the eye, and what's his question? The question is not, did you walk an aisle? Did you pray a prayer? Did you do this? The question is, where is your faith? You see, the question is, is, Where's the evidence of your faith right here? Oh, by the way, the teaching earlier that day was the four soils. And one of those soils includes the person who, who, who receives, but then when trials on account of the word, might I say, John won the word Jesus Christ. And they're out, and Jesus pushes back on them. Friend, the Lord loves you. And the thing he wants more than anything is he wants you to repent and he wants you to follow him. It is entered into and it is evidence. And if you have any questions, talk with someone. Get with someone from here. Get with someone you know. But friend, don't leave this left open. It's a matter of eternity. So God, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to ask, Spirit of God, would you do a work among us? Would you uh, take the things I've said and make that what is important to stick home? Lord, may the word of God be what penetrates our soul. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that's at a place to where they're just like, man, I, I look over my life and frankly, I see no fruit. Lord, you know we're all growing and changing. All of us have uh, parts of our life that we need to continue growing in and maturing in. But I'm talking about if there's no real lasting fruit, Father, if there's someone who has been at this place to where they thought that they knew you as Savior but are wondering if they really do, God, I would pray they would be bold enough and that they would repent and make it real. Spirit of God, do that work that only you can do. Father, for those of us who are in Christ and who know you by grace, Lord, I pray, might in these days, might in these times, might you help us to be a people that are watching, that are aware of, that are looking into where we are at in our relationship with you and seeing the areas revealed in our faith that we need to be growing in and maturing in. Oh God, help us, I pray. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to grow in you. So do a work. And we know that you will. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.